0: If you got your Bibles again, we're in Luke chapter 5. I'm going to invite the ushers forward. They're going to do this morning's offering. We are in Luke chapter 5, verses 12 through 26 this morning. A couple announcements before you as we begin. Women's Bible study is kicking up this Thursday morning and Thursday night. We'd love for you to be a part of that. You can sign up for that. The cost of the study is $10. Uh, but those are kicking off this week. We'd love for you to be a part of it. Men's Breakfast is coming up, not this Saturday, but the following one. So in two weeks, we'd love for you to be a part as that as well. Uh, but we are glad that you are here. Community groups are still taking place. Opportunity for us to talk over the sermon, to unite together in community, and grow in holiness as well. But I am going to read to you the text, Luke chapter 5, hear God's word, starting verse 12, all the way to twenty-six. We are in our series, A Kingdom for All People. Luke chapter 5, verses 12 through 26. Speaking of Jesus, while he was in one of the cities, there came a man full of leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and begged him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him, and he charged him to tell no one but go and show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing as Moses commanded for proof to them. But now even more, the report about him went, uh, went abroad and great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities, but he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. And one of those days he was teaching, Jesus was teaching, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were sitting there, who had come from every village in Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was, was with them to heal, and behold, some of the men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed, and they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. Jesus. But finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down with his bed uh, through the tiles in the, midst of, in the midst before Jesus. When he saw their faith, he said, Man, your sins are forgiven. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to question, saying, Who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? When Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them, why do you question in your hearts which is easier to say your sins are forgiven, or rather, which is easier to you to say your sins are forgiven you, or to say, rise and walk, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the man who was paralyzed, they say to you, rise up, pick up your bed and go home. And immediately he rose up before them and picked up what he had been lying on and went home, glorifying God, and amazement seized them all, and they glorified God and were filled with awe, saying, we have seen extraordinary things today. Well, there is no greater picture of human suffering in the world than in Calcutta, India. Here's a place where human garbage mixes with human waste in tight confinement, and it's a wonder that anybody could ever live amongst this place. A place so bad that in the morning, each morning, garbage trucks go throughout the, the, the city to pick up the dead bodies who died the night before. Talk about pain and suffering. The 36,000 people who live each in each square mile of this city, they understand pain and suffering quite well a wonder Then that Mother Teresa would call this place her home. These people, her people, she had this preferential desire to be with the poor, so much so that the story is told that Bob Pierce and Franklin Grant showed up at her door. These two at the time represented the two largest charity organizations in the world with World Vision and Samaritan's Purse. You would think that Mother Teresa would be overjoyed, go above and beyond to make these men feel welcome. After all, they had the ability to bless her ministry in quite an extraordinary way. But when these men showed up at her door, she had her secretary run out to them and she told them that the secretary said, Mother Teresa would love to meet with you, but as soon as the man she's with passes away. How long would that be? Nobody knew, but yet for the next several hours, this man had to feel like the most important man in the world, obviously more important than Bob uh, Pierce and Franklin Graham. What was the name of this man? No, Nobody knows, but I'll tell you that again, he had to feel like the most important man in the world because he gained the attention of Mother Teresa, but more importantly, he gained the attention of God. In our passage this morning, we see a similar scene. Scene full of suffering and pain, but yet this pain and suffering is overwhelmed with compassion in our story. Because we're introduced to two different people. In the first sense, we're introduced to to a man with leprosy, and on the second, a man who's been paralyzed. Both men who are forgotten in their culture, who are the outcasts. But as as forgotten as they are, what's so extraordinary about our story is these two men gain the full attention of God. Jesus heals them, touches them, even forgives one man's sins. It's an extraordinary story of Jesus' compassion. And even though the world wanted to forget these men, they had Jesus' full attention. In fact, as you notice, our scene opens up with the first man with leprosy. We're told that Jesus is going city to city, as we already saw. He's moving city to city to tell everybody about his kingdom. But as he's in this city, what we see is this man runs up to Jesus, and he falls right before him on his face, and he begins to beg. If you will, you can heal and make me clean. Desperation in this man's voice. Catch his desperation. We have to understand a little bit about leprosy. Leprosy in the scriptures, kind of an all-encompassing term that that really begins to encompass any skin disease. With the worst skin diseases of so what we as modern day believers understand leprosy to be, this was the worst. But even though we don't exactly know what skin disease that is mentioned in the text, we do understand. How this man would have been pushed aside. Leviticus tells us that here was a man that that because of his leprosy, Leviticus 13, he required this man to walk around with his outer garments torn, his hair unkept, bandages around half of his face so everybody would know that this man was unclean. What's so interesting about his garments, he's literally looking like he's dressing towards his own funeral. Everywhere he went, he was required to shout out, unclean, unclean, so nobody would ever come near him. A normal occurrence for this man was, as he's walking through, children would scurry about to try to flee from him. Others would actually literally throw stones at him to keep him at bay, to keep him away. He was a man we never experienced any touch, never was able to worship at the synagogue, Because they thought this disease was contagious, he was thrown out to the outside of the city. There he was lonely, a life full of suffering and pain, and on top of that, being kicked out of community. And you can imagine for a second what this man had to be feeling. Never once really even seen somebody's gaze gaze towards him, let alone a smile, not being able to shake anybody's hand to ever have a hug from somebody. Again, a life full of pain and agony, and in this pain and agony, we see him fall to his face as he cries out to Jesus, keeping his distance from Jesus, not making wanting to make sure that Jesus was not made unclean himself, and he calls out, "If you, if you will, you can make me clean." Can you imagine the crowd? Everybody's silent in that moment, wondering how Jesus is going to handle this social outcast. You know, this is what makes these words in our text even stand out even more, as we understand this desperation, as we understand... And here was a man who, who literally was longing to be healed, but yet kicked out of community. But yet, notice what it says in verse 13. Jesus stretched out his hand, and he touched this man. A man who hasn't received touch, most likely for years. Again, never receiving a pat on the back, a shake of a hand, and yet the first touch he receives is the touch of God. Remarkable story of compassion. As Jesus reaches out and touches this man who is full of leprosy. And in that touch, you see what Jesus is communicating. This man, he matters. That he's important. That he hasn't been forgotten. But God cares enough to touch him. Extraordinary we see Jesus' compassion, and it's important for us to remember because I think, I think so often we think so, that, that Jesus doesn't really care about little old us. He's got too much going on. But as we see Jesus' compassion for this, this man full of leprosy a social outcast, we see that yes, Jesus is a compassionate God who doesn't run away from our pain, but rather runs toward it. And, and yet, we, even in the next story, we, we, we see Jesus never too busy, never too preoccupied to deal with our pain and our suffering, but yet in the next story, Jesus is in the middle of teaching. He gets interrupted by a man who comes through the roof, and yet Jesus doesn't scold this man, but stops and heals him. It's extraordinary, and a reminder to us that our God, yes, is full of tenderness and compassion. Because again, I think we often forget it. We think that God must be too busy for us. Jesus got too much going on to care for our concern or our trial. But that couldn't be farther from the case. Because as you and I look throughout the scriptures, what do we see so often? We see Jesus letting Mary stop at his feet as he hangs out for a while with Mary and just enjoys the fellowship with Mary. We see Jesus going to Zacchaeus's house to have a meal. We see Jesus out on the outsides of the city walking along when he sees a widow who just lost her only son and yet filled with compassion. What does Jesus do? He stops and raises this boy back to life because he has so much compassion for a widow who lost her only son. See, our God is a compassionate God. In fact, as we look throughout Isaiah, what do we see Isaiah labeled Jesus to be? He's one who is born our griefs and carries our sorrows. And notice those words, He, he carries our sorrows taking our burden upon His own shoulders. So is there any wonder about the reality that our God cares? No, He he carries our burdens. One writer writes, Jesus feels every fever. He carries every cancer. He bears our brokenness and takes our transgressions. This is our God and what a wonderful God He is. So in the midst of our pain, we never have to worry. Does God care about our suffering or our pain? No, He runs towards it. And when He comes towards it, He comes to it in tenderness, a disposition of grace and tenderness and compassion. Which in many ways is shocking to us, right? Because when we often suffer, there's this sense that that sometimes that the people in our lives just get tired of it. Yeah, our friends really care about our, our maybe our problem for a while, but if that problem lasts any length of time, eventually they just throw up their hands and say, That's enough. I can't handle it. But that never happens with Jesus. Because remember Jesus' words in Matthew Come to me, all who are heavy. that that carry the burdens of life. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden. And in the essence, what he's saying is is the, 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 the prerequisite of actually coming to Jesus is having the burden. He says, those are the ones I want to come to me. All who are weary and heavy laden, come to me and I will give you rest. So in the midst of your trial and tribulation, understand that you serve a God who wants to meet you in that pain. A God who wants to carry your tears with you. He is a compassionate God and we see it so clearly in the text. As we see him now reach out and touch this this man full of leprosy and remember what he's crossing over to be able to do so. To touch this leprous man, this man was thought to be contagious so Jesus could have leprosy himself or... To touch this man would obviously make him ceremonial unclean, but yet Jesus still does it because he's a compassionate God. And sometimes compassion comes at a cost. So he reaches out and here's where the real miracle comes. Jesus' power begins to push back the leprosy. As we're told in the text, the scars begin to disappear. And this man is not only physically whole, but now he's able to come back into community. For notice what Jesus actually says to him in our text. Verse 14 And he charged him now to go tell the priests, go and show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing as Moses commanded for proof to them. You see what's taking place is this man is just healed and the only one who can allow him to come back into the synagogue would be the priest. The priest would have to verify that the leprosy has disappeared according to Leviticus 13. So he makes an offering, he would go to the priest so that he can now enter back into community. Jesus holistically heals this man. And what an amazing picture of restoration and healing. Yes, it came at a cost. And we understand the cost because we see it so much more clearly in Mark's gospel. Mark kind of adds to to this instance of the narrative as he begins to describe what's taking place because Jesus is going to tell him, I need you not to tell anybody about it. But we understand from Mark's gospel, this man can't keep this news to himself he's just healed he's excited about it so what does he do he begins to go and tell everybody listen to what mark one forty five says the leprosy man went out and he began to talk freely about it and to spread the news so that jesus could no longer openly enter the town but was out in a desolate places and people were coming to him from every quarter do you see what just took place Notice the cost of Jesus' compassion shown to this man. This is a beautiful picture of the gospel. They literally transform and change places. This man with leprosy was out on the desolate places. He wasn't allowed into the community. But now Jesus, in his compassion, touches this man, heals this man, and now what is the result? Now Jesus is in desolate places, not allowed to come into the city. The leprous man now is able to freely walk about the community. They literally have transformed places. And is that not a picture of the gospel? That Jesus takes on this man's pain to exchange his place to now him being on the outside, and yet this man being on the inside, and yet this is what takes place in the gospel. Jesus takes the burden of our sin. God's wrath, condemnation upon himself upon the cross. And what do we get in return? Righteousness, freedom to to walk about in the kingdom of God without any guilt or sin. There's this great exchange taking place, but let us not forget the cost of Jesus' compassion shown to our lives. So yes, we see Jesus is a compassionate God in our text, We see this come at a cost, but notice what we see next. We see Jesus is the Messiah, the divine, and we see it in our next story. For verses 17 to 26, Luke picks up the story of this man who's a paralytic. We understand that here's the picture now of the scene Jesus is teaching. There's so many in this room that nobody on the outside can even make their way in. Standing room only. The Pharisees and the scribes are there. They're sitting. they got seats of honor, but everybody else is shoulder to shoulder. That creates a problem. Because this group of friends are on the outside trying to get their friend in. He's a paralytic. He's laying on the bed. How do we get him inside this room? As they try to make their way through, they're scolded and told to keep on the outside. So in their desperation, because they've heard the stories of Jesus' healing, they think to ourselves, if we can just get our friend to Jesus, it will radically transform his life. So they climb up on the roof. They take their friend who's laying on a bed unable to help them, and they lift him up there, and we understand that they had to dig about two feet into the roof. There's sticks and branches that kind of lay that first layer. And then they put this brick down and lime on top of it. And they harden it down and they do a couple more. Literally two feet. Imagine them digging. And imagine those on the inside as they begin to hear the noise. I Imagine Jesus teaching and some dirt falling on his head. And this weird scene as they look up and then they see heads peering in. And they lower this man down. And again, Jesus doesn't scold them. He doesn't get upset that they just interrupted his teaching. He, he doesn't get upset that they literally ruined this roof. But Jesus moved with compassion again. Looks at this man in his desperate state and says, I forgive you of your sins. I imagine those in the room, we're not sure what the paralytic thought, but we know what the people in the room thought. That's a weird thing to say. He's he's a paralytic. Aren't we going to care about his physical needs? Jesus, why are you saying that you forgive this man's sins? The Pharisees are like, how can you even say that? Because only God alone can say such a thing. But that's Jesus' point. That he is God. That he is the only one who can rightfully say these words. So understanding the question that they're having, he begins to ask a question of them. He says, which one is harder? Me to say I can forgive your sins? Or actually call this man to rise up off his mat and begin to walk again? It's an easy question to understand. Anybody can walk around a room and say I forgive you of your sins. In fact, I believe C.S. Lewis got it right, that for us to walk around, it's very easy to do, but it's a foolish thing to do. And it's quite silly, because we only forgive people who actually offend us. If somebody hits me on the arm or steps on my toes, I have the freedom to, yes, forgive them, but, but when I'm not the offended party, it doesn't make sense for me to walk around and say, I forgive you of your sins, I forgive you of your sins, when you've never offended me. So C.S. Lewis says, notice that Jesus doesn't walk around the room or even talk to the paralytic's friends or family, asking them questions. Did this man sin against you? No, Jesus in this moment, Jesus acts like the offended party. He acts like he's the one who's been offended by this man's sin. So yes, he has the freedom to forgive, but C.S. Lewis concludes that only God can say such a thing. Because only God is the offended party. And yet Jesus is acting like this man has sinned. Yes, he's God. He's showing himself to be the Messiah. The one who can forgive sins. Because he's the offended one. And yet as we see that he is divine. We, 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 we're amazed at what he's actually doing. He's saying, yes, I'm God. God. But what gets me here, in the midst of this, is this. Is he, Jesus turns to this man in this moment. He says, to everybody in the room, let me show you that I actually have the authority to forgive this man's sins. And the way I'm going to do it is to heal this man and allow him to get up and walk. So notice what Jesus says. He says, so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins He turns to the paralytic and says, I say to you, rise up, pick up your bed, and go home. And right then and there, the man gets up, walks out, and begins to glorify God. Again, an amazing picture of compassion, of love, of power, of Jesus showing himself to be our Messiah. But what I love in the text is notice what Jesus is more concerned about. He heals this man's greater problem first. Notice his main concern is not this man's physical needs. No, he's cared about his spiritual needs. Because Jesus understands if this man's spiritual needs are not fixed, that his physical needs, his physical pain, will just go on from this life into eternity separated from God. So Jesus says, I I understand the greater need here. It's his spiritual needs. And I ask the question, is that how we look out on life as well? Do we understand that people's spiritual needs are much greater than their physical needs? And are we acting like it? Are we willing to take on the cost of compassion and empathy and tenderness to be able to meet people's spiritual needs? In our family life, do we care about our kids' spiritual needs way more than their physical needs? In fact, I was reminded this week, sitting here, uh, there's some problem with my son's basketball coach. I wasn't excited about the decision he was making. He punished my son for being sick, but it was making me angry. Literally to the point where I had to sit away from the the coach so I wouldn't say anything to him. But this text hit me this week for this purpose. I miss what was the greater need here. Here I am getting frustrated, getting angry, forgetting all the fans in the stands and their impact that I can have on how I react to this situation. Am I willing to take on a cost of discomfort for my son So that I can respond in a Christ-like manner for the spiritual needs of all those around me. I think we often forget it. We get so frustrated in the day-to-day grind that we forget how we respond to these situations. is an opportunity for us to care more about people's spiritual needs than sometimes the things that are going on in our own life. Are you willing to endure some pain... So that you can show off Christ in your response for the desire for other people in your life to get saved and see Jesus through you. Jesus says the most important need in this man's life is to, for me to forgive his sins. So here we, we see this response of a remarkable compassion as Jesus shows himself to be God. And yes, he shows himself to be a compassionate God. But now we ask the question, how do we respond? Because if we go back to the leper, notice what the leper's doing in his response. The first story, we told Mark's gospel again, he goes, he went out and began to talk freely about what just took place. So caught up that when Jesus tells him, I don't want you to talk to anybody, he just can't keep the news to himself. Remember what we talked about last week? That's what we want from our people. So moved by our own grace story that we just can't help but tell other people about what God has done in our own life. And that's what we brought up to you, what we really want on your minds this year, this idea of being it as simple as one, two, three. We want you to pick one person this year that you're dedicated to praying for. Have the boldness to be able to, in love and grace, share the gospel with this person We want two nations to be on your mind. We want to pray for our nation and unity of our nation. In election year, we want want Christ to be seen. We want the church to be strengthened. But we also want you to pick another nation as we grow our hearts for the nations. And then thirdly, we want you to pray for three neighborhoods. Your own neighborhood, the neighborhoods around Aberdeen Elementary School and Aberdeen Elementary itself. And then we want you to pray for a cross-culturally different neighborhood in Moore County. We want the gospel to reach all people within our community because we have a gospel greed for people to be saved. But here's what I'm convinced of. That when our words of gospel truth go out and when they're met with Christ-like compassion as well as we imitate Christ-like compassion to all people, this is when the outside world looks in and says, I want to be part of that family. Are we willing to mimic Christ like compassion even when it comes at a cost? Because notice, notice the trouble that Jesus is going through. They're getting upset that Jesus is healing a paralytic. He's showing compassion doing a right thing and I think in our minds we just assume everybody's going to be on board with that but I'll tell you that's not the case. Us showing compassion sometimes comes at a cost. The cost to ourselves is we're willing to get our hands dirty but also some people don't like it. Are we willing to go across those bridges that we talked about last week? Those those generation bridges, as we reach out to all generations within our community, economic bridges, cultural bridges. Are we willing to go over those for the sake of the gospel of reaching all people, showing compassion, even when it comes at a cost, because we long for people to see our God. A woman who did this so well was a woman by the name of Mary Reed. She was a missionary, and she was called to the people on the foothills of the Himalayas. Right there on the India and Nepal border, there was a leprosy colony there, and these people were forgotten. Nobody wanted to enter in. Nobody wanted to minister to them, but yet Mary Reed was called to these people. She moved... From the United States to this leprosy colony in which she ministered to these people, she showed compassion and she shared the word of God. So the sad part, though, was that she ended up getting leprosy herself. If you know anything about leprosy, this type of leprosy was incredibly painful. It's open sores constantly on your body. point where her throat was constricted, she would lose her voice on constant and on just, just a constant occasion. And you know what's so extraordinary about Mary Reed? is though she never complained. Never blamed these people. No, she, she understood that Jesus showed compassionate to, to, compassion to her. And that compassion came at a cost. So she was willing to do the same to other people. What was the result? 67 out of the 83 of these within the leprosy colony came to faith within the first five years. Sixty-three people had their eternities transformed. Mary Reed is in heaven. You think she's ever looking back and saying, man, that cost was too much? Absolutely not. She's shouting for joy that she was able to transform people's eternities. And the question we ask is, are we willing to do the same? Sometimes those bridges of crossing, those economic bridges or race bridges, sometimes they're scary. But are we willing to do it for the sake of the gospel? Sometimes showing compassion is hard because we take their mess upon our own shoulders, as we're called to to weep with those who weep but are we willing to do it for the sake of the gospel? See, I want our church to embody Mary Reed's heart, that we would match our words of gospel truth with an imitation of Christ-like empathy and compassion. And when these together are combined, that's when the world sees Jesus and says, yes, I want him. I want him. Would we in our own lives begin to see our trials in a different way? Each trial and tribulation comes our way. Would we see it in a way that we can use it for gospel's sake? Not get frustrated or upset like I was, but imitate Christ, imitate Mary Reed has seen those as opportunities in our weaknesses show off God's strength, to respond in love and grace and empathy even when it might be the hardest thing you could do, but to do so so that other people can see Jesus through you. It's a kingdom for all people. Our mission field is more County. We want to reach them. And that takes place... As We marry our words of gospel truth with Christ-like and imitation of Christ-like compassion and empathy. And these together, the world is able to see the love of Christ through us. Will it come at a cost? It will. But it's a cost that's so worth it that when we get to heaven, it won't feel like a cost at all. If we look at this passage and let this passage seep within our own hearts. In the midst of our weakness, we turn to Jesus, who is compassionate. He's never overburdened, never too busy for his people. But in the midst of your heartache and pain, he's there. In the midst of the injustices that take place in your life, he is there. And he wants you to respond. And humility and love. So that people can see Jesus so clearly through you. God, I'm thankful for your word. God, I'm thankful that you bring conviction where conviction is needed. God, I failed miserably in this this week and I pray that you would redeem that situation that you can show off Christ so clearly through my life and, Lord, the life of our church. God, let us be willing to embrace the cost of discipleship because we are eagerly hungry for people to see the glory of who you are about. God, the great news of the gospel is that you sent your Son to this earth to take on our sin and your wrath upon himself upon the cross that anybody by faith would turn to your son that we would be forgiven and be adopted and be called your own. So God we do pray this morning again for those houses being built around us let our church be a place that is that city on a hill that would minister well show love well Lord, we even think of this school. Lord, we pray for all the students here that show up tomorrow morning. God, we want them to see Jesus through us. So God, as we brainstorm and think of how the best do that, rise up our church to be able to to be the ones willing to show love and compassion to this school, to share the good news of Jesus Christ with this school. that you would give us a hunger to reach the nations, more counties on our hearts. Give us the, the opportunities and the words and love to be able to proclaim your gospel to those you would have us proclaim even this week. Be with your church, build your church. To your glory alone, we pray these things in your son's precious name. Amen.